Well, let's turn to Romans 1 and uh, these two verses, 16 and 17, very well known. They're verses that I'm sure are familiar to most of us here this morning. They're verses that we've looked at before. And these two verses contain the theme for the entire letter to the church at Rome. So let's read Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that's in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. Well, let's ask God to help us then as we turn to his word. Lord, there's not one of us here who does not need help if we are to listen to the word of God. Lord, it's a mysterious process that we're about to engage in. Lord, we're not relying upon our ability to listen, which may help us in other contexts. Neither are we relying upon our intelligence, which again we need in other areas of life. Instead, our God, this is a spiritual activity, and uh, we need to be uh, of the Spirit, and we need the help of the Spirit in order to hear your word. Lord, this, it's such a mysterious thing that we're about to do. Lord, there are times when our heart rises up. It's uh, as if all the dust that settles during our heart uh, during the week is suddenly uh, swept up when a sermon is preached and can get in the way and clog uh, our insides. Lord, we ask that we might have settled minds and settled hearts to hear your word. And above all else, our God, what we want is to be able to live out uh, your word in whichever situation we find ourselves in. So, Lord, we commend ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the, the duties I think we have as Christian people is to understand the world in which we live. And uh, think of the conversations that we have with each other. We'll often say to each other, won't we, have you heard? Have you heard about what's happened? Or we'll say to each other, guess what? Guess what the government has done this week? Guess what? President Trump has tweeted this week. Or we'll talk about what we've seen on TV. We'll talk about the latest guidance that the government is offering to us in our workplaces. So we live in the world and we try to make sense of it. And there are times in which we are shocked by the world in which we live. We are certainly surprised at the turn events uh, that uh, we have witnessed in our lifetime. Things are acceptable today that wouldn't have been undreamt of just a few years ago. And uh, as Christians, we struggle to see whether the changes that we are witnessing are for the better or for the worse. And there's one thing that's in our minds nearly every time you and I talk about what we are, we are witnessing around us. And that one thing is this. 
as a society, are we getting further away from God? Is God at work in our society in any way? Is God doing anything among us? These are the concerns that we have. So what I'd like us to do now on a Sunday morning is think about the world in which we live, and I want us to think about how you and I can live in our world. And I want to do so in light of these two verses here in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I want us to learn how, I'm sure you, you'll say to me you know how already, so let's just remind ourselves then. I want us to learn how to live our lives in this world in the light of the gospel. Were you struck as I was when we read these verses earlier? Just how often Paul refers to the gospel. You see it in uh, the opening verse. He mentions it as he writes this introduction. And then here in verse 16, he tells us, I am not ashamed of the gospel of God. I want us to think about how you and I can live every day in the light of the gospel. In your family, I want us to think about how there we can live in light of the gospel. I want us to do the same in terms of our workplace, in terms of university perhaps, to understand the gospel and how to live it out. So I want to begin this morning by talking to you about three things. I want to talk about revelation. So can you look at uh, verses 16 and 17? And in verse 17, you see the word revealed. This is a really important word in this letter. I want us to see this morning that in chapter 1, Paul tells us that three things are revealed and the gospel itself reveals one thing above everything else. So let's start there. What does this idea of revelation mean? Then this morning, if we have time, let's take the word righteousness. And uh, we need to see a little bit about what that word itself means. But if you look at verses 16 and 17, do you see there that we are told that the gospel results in salvation? So I want to take a moment to talk to you about salvation. And then the third thing we'll do this morning, again, depending on time, we look at the response to the gospel that Paul has here in verse 16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I think that statement is going to become more important in our lives and there's going to be more pressure on us, I think, in the future in relation to this idea of being ashamed of the gospel. Now, I'm going to do my best to explain to you what it means. It's not rejoicing in. It's not boasting in. Paul doesn't say that. He says he's not ashamed of the gospel. 
And I think there's pressure on Christians to be ashamed in the days in which we live. So I'm going to do my best to try and explain what it means. So three things then as usual. Let's have a look at this idea of revelation. Let's see what the gospel results in. And then we look just for a minute or two at the response to the gospel that Paul lays out here for us. So let's start with Revelation then. Chapter 1 tells us that there are three revelations. And the word revelation means simply, it simply says that God speaks to us. So we are living in a world to which God speaks. So never lose sight of the fact that whoever you live with, whoever you work with, we have a God who continuously speaks to this world. He is speaking to men and women in every culture, in every age, all the time. We need confidence in our understanding that our living God is a God who speaks. So let me show you three things. In Romans 1, just go down a little bit from verse 18, and you'll see that the first way in which God speaks to men and women is he speaks through creation. So if you've been on holiday and you've enjoyed wonderful sunshine and uh, you've taken in the scenery and you've marveled at the oceans and you've been amazed at the beauty of our world, just remember that God is speaking through this creation and he speaks to every holidaymaker, he speaks to every individual. If you gaze up, as some did uh, just a few weeks ago, at uh, that eclipse that sped its way across the United States, God continuously speaks through creation. There is not one soul who does not hear the voice of God as he speaks through creation. And what Paul tells us, you can see it for yourselves, uh, take a, a look at verse 20, creation speaks about the power of God, creation speaks about the wisdom of God, creation declares, as we'll see, I think, in the Psalms, Creation speaks about the glory of God. So that person you're praying for, that one you love in your family, that one who seems to be as hard as nails, who doesn't want to listen to you when you talk about the gospel, that son or daughter, that grandchild, that person is being spoken to by God every day that he lives because he lives in a world that reveals God and reveals the power of God and the glory of God. That's how God speaks. Now I've thought a lot about the second way in which God speaks and it's in verse 18. I want you to be ready for the fact that we are going to think about wrath and we're going to be thinking about God's wrath 
in relation to the society in which we live. So look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. So creation reveals the truth about the power of God. And then heaven itself reveals, so heaven speaks about the wrath of God. Now that's a tremendous statement that we live in a society to which God speaks about his wrath. And he speaks about that wrath from heaven. Now, can you see that creation speaks about the truth, but heaven declares the wrath of God? Heaven reveals God's wrath. I want you to start thinking about what it means that heaven reveals the wrath of God. We're going to think about wrath. And it's an uncomfortable subject. It's uncomfortable for us as Christians. But I want us to work out what Paul means when he says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. So the revelation comes from heaven. Can you see? Is it that the wrath comes from heaven or the revelation comes from heaven? But he goes on to say, it's revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. God is showing men and women that he is angry. So again, that person you're praying for, that husband who's not a bit interested, God is speaking about his wrath. What does that mean then? And then, of course, the third revelation we've already noticed is in verse 16. And the third way in which God speaks to our world is through the gospel, through this message that has been entrusted to the church. The message that is preached. This is the third revelation that God has given to us. And as you can see in verse 16, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. So can you see how each revelation speaks about God? Creation speaks about his power and his invisible attributes. Heaven speaks about his wrath and his anger. But then, in the midst of all of this, there's the gospel revealing the righteousness of God. And Paul is very clear. He's clear that the gospel revelation is the most wonderful revelation about God that there is in creation. It's the highest revelation. It reveals the most wonderful truth about God, which is his righteousness. So let's take a note of that then this morning. When Paul writes, the righteousness of God is revealed, what does he mean? And I think he means three things. 
when we have the gospel, when the gospel is preached, it shows how righteous God is. The character of God is revealed when the gospel is preached. The righteous character of God. I also think when the gospel is preached, it shows the righteous works of God. How God has been able to reconcile his wrath and his love. How has God been able to save men and women with whom he's angry? That's the righteous works of God. God has done it in a right way. He is able to forgive in a right way. He is able to show mercy in a right way. That's the word righteousness. But then the third way is this. This gospel message, this revelation of the gospel, shows how men and women can become righteous. How people from any background people who've lived every sort of life, people who've made every kind of mistake, how people can be made righteous in the sight of God. And of course, that is, as you can see in verse 17, through faith. So let me just sum up before we move on then. We're talking about revelation. God speaks in this society in which we live. You see, the, the challenge is this. If you go back to work tomorrow, you'll be seeing people who will talk about their weekends, they'll talk about their holidays, people will talk about everything and anything, and you'll be there as a Christian in the workplace talking to them, and men and women will look as if there's nothing going on. And they are dead in their sin. But God continues to speak. And he is speaking in our society as he always has. Through creation, from heaven, and in the gospel. And God is speaking about his power. He is speaking about his wrath. And then when the gospel is preached, God speaks about his righteousness. And what that means for men and women. So let's move on then. Look at verse 16. What does the gospel result in? So take a look at that verse. You know it well. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God that leads to or results in salvation. The gospel is in the business of saving men and women. Now, this is so important at so many levels. As Christians, this is important for us because we want people to be saved. And it's been so long since anyone was saved among us that we, we tend to settle down and think, well, nobody, perhaps God is not going anymore to save, that God has passed over us and forgotten us and, and moved on from us. So we, we forget 
that this gospel results in salvation. You expect salvation when the gospel is preached. So we are living in a world in which God is speaking and the gospel is being preached, so it's still a world in which God will save men and women. And even in our society, the gospel is still preached in our society. It's still being preached in our communities. And so therefore, we can expect that men and women will be saved in our communities because the gospel results in and leads to and demonstrates the power of God that leads to salvation. We must not lose hope. People will be saved. And people will be saved here. Because the gospel is preached here. And wherever it is preached, God will show his power and save. Let's recover that hope. But let me say something else. And I want to make it clear. The fundamental need of men and women is to be saved. So let's drive this home. And I'm not apologizing for driving it home because like you, sometimes I lose sight of this. The fundamental need is not that people be made happy. You know, we are living in an age that tells us that all that matters is that people are happy. And what that means for our society is if something is desired by a person, so you want something, nobody can prevent you from having it because that would make you unhappy. So if you want a certain thing, then you've every right to it because it makes you happy. Even though sometimes we say, don't we, oh, only if it doesn't harm anyone else. Well, I, I think even that's beginning to fray now. Our society says that society is good and healthy if people can have what they want. People flourish. People do well when they have what they want. Now, you see the gospel message, and what God is speaking to our society about all the time is that, no, it's not about being happy. It's about being saved. And God is speaking this message through creation, from heaven, and through the gospel. And so, that patient you nurse, or those school children you teach, their fundamental need is to be saved. And that family member whom you love, and that colleague that you don't get on with, and those customers that irritate you, and the neighbours who play loud music, they need to be saved and anything else ultimately 
doesn't matter. And as we live in our society, what I'm asking us to do is to remember the fundamental need that your friend has, or your colleague, or that person you share a lift with. doesn't matter who it is. Just remember the fundamentals that's at work. That people may be doing all sorts of things. And lifestyles may be very different to what they once were. But the Christian calls people, as God speaks to people, about the fundamental need to be saved. Now let's ask the question, saved from what? And again, you see, we need to make sense of this, don't we? People do not need to be saved from being poor. People do not need to be saved from being unemployed. People don't need to be saved from being unhappy. People don't need to be saved from nuclear war. People need to be saved from wrath. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. There is no one who does not know about the anger of God. And what we need to work out is how does God speak about his anger to our society? Because he is speaking about it. And the question is, is he showing it as well as speaking about it? No one is ignorant of the anger and wrath of God. So what we'll see in the weeks to come is what do people do with this revelation so god is speaking to them through creation he's speaking to them from heaven god is speaking to people through the gospel so what are people doing with this speech from god well we'll see it in the weeks to come but just for today what i'm asking you to think about is this what's the fundamental need of people in our society, in the world in which we live. It is to be saved from wrath. There are no exceptions. There is no person, because you've loved them, will be saved from wrath. There is no person just because you know them will be saved from wrath. The wrath of God is the ultimate judgment that men and women face. Now, do we still believe it? Do we still, because we've changed in so many ways, do we still believe that what will happen to men and women when they die, if they die without Christ, they will go 
to God and face his wrath. Now, if we don't believe that, let's just follow some of the trends that are in the church these days. If we believe that uh, ultimately everyone will be in heaven and uh, God will somehow work it all out and it doesn't matter how, but somehow or other, uh, in some wonderful way, everybody will be in heaven. Right, so if that's the case, why do we preach a gospel? Why do we have a message of salvation? Why do people be called to faith? Why did Christ die on the cross? Can you see you have to ask all these questions? Take one doctrine away and the whole falls to the ground. Do we still believe? So we're going to see what the wrath of God means. So we live in a society that God still speaks to. We live in a society in which the power of God still works when the gospel is preached. And here's the second point. We live in a society in which men and women still need to be saved. Husbands, children, grandchildren, parents, second cousins, they need to be saved. That's what we are thinking about this morning. So let's finish then with this introduction by looking at this phrase in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, bear with me then as I try to explain what this means. And uh, perhaps I'm not going to give you very good examples, but I'm going to try my best. So if you're a teacher, you're trained to think a certain way. You're trained to think about the equality of your pupils the equality needs so you don't treat one pupil differently to another you're trained to talk about the diversity of your classroom you'll have children with different beliefs from different backgrounds different abilities so as a teacher you're trained to think in certain ways that reflect what society values. If you're a nurse, then you're equally trained not to discriminate, not to show prejudice, not to let your own feelings come through. If you're nursing someone who's had a termination of pregnancy or, or you're uh, looking after somebody who's got a different belief system to yours, you're trained in a way that reflects society. Now, I'm going to use a phrase that I'm assuming isn't very often used in sermons. Let's take the phrase political correctness. You're not allowed to say that what you think somebody is doing is wrong. Can't say it. It's not wrong. It's just not what you would do. But they would do it and that's fine for them. So you're not allowed to use any phrase that may reflect prejudice or intolerance or lead to the other person feeling hurt 
or upset by your remarks. This is the society we live in. And every so often you'll get, won't you, you'll get politicians making mistakes. And they'll use phrases that they think are harmless. We had one recently, didn't we? Am I allowed to say it in a sermon? Would I get into trouble if I did? Do you remember that conservative politician talking about a so-and-so in a woodpile? She got into trouble. You see, we live in a society that has a system of beliefs. We now believe certain things. And the power of the state enforces these beliefs. So in universities, particularly, uh, perhaps in America more so than here, if you're white and male, you mustn't wear a sombrero, for example, or dress up as a Mexican bandit for a party in a fancy dress because you're abusing someone else's culture. And so you have all this uh, talk in universities about safe spaces where people can go without the threat of uh, hearing words that would upset them. Can you see the society we live in? And there's much that's good about it. Sometimes my family think I'm a bit of a sad character because I watch those programmes from the 1970s. Do you remember them? Sometimes we'll have programmes on, won't we, to say things like, how awful it was in the 1970s on TV. And you'll have programmes put on just to remind you how awful the 70s were, like, love thy neighbour. Do you remember them, if you're old enough? Things have changed. Things may be better in lots of ways. The sexist language of the 70s might have gone. What I'm saying is this. We live in a society that has certain beliefs. We live in a society that thinks in certain ways. And there's tremendous power behind these views. You can be arrested if you get it wrong. You can be accused of hate crimes if you get it wrong. When Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, he recognises the difference between how a society thinks and what the gospel is. And so often there is a clash between what a society thinks and the message of the gospel. The gospel is so different to what a society tells you you are to believe. To what society tells you you are to think. The gospel is very different to what a society tells you you can and cannot say and can and cannot do. So when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he is saying with great boldness and confidence, he is not going to let any society temper or shape or control how the gospel is preached. He won't allow it. 
He's not going to do a bit of nip and tack around the gospel to make it fit into the society in which he lives. He won't do it. And the reason why he won't do it is because it's all about salvation. It's about the wrath of God. It's concerned with people's destinies. It's about eternity. It's about forever and ever and ever. So he will not fiddle or temper with the gospel. He's not ashamed that this is what he believes. Even if all around him he's told that he's not thinking right, and he's saying the wrong thing, and he's upsetting people, and he's hurting their feelings, he will not at all water down the gospel. Now, you and I, we are living in a society then that's going to tell us what to think, what to say, how to say it, who to say it to, don't upset anyone. Don't tell anyone anything that might hurt their feelings. This is the pressure upon us every day as we live our lives in work or just if we go out and about. So how are we going to work out the fact that we are not ashamed of this gospel? How are we going to do it so that we can remain faithful to the gospel in a society that is very different. So can you see the way ahead then? We want to understand the days in which we live. God is still speaking. Men and women's fundamental need remains that they need to be saved. And we are called to live out our lives not being ashamed of what we believe, not being ashamed of the message we have for this world, not being ashamed of who God is and who we are because we are dealing with the glory of God, the power of his word, and the need for men and women to be saved. Let's pray then.